We're in our third Sunday of Advent, talking about joy today, talking about the joy of the arrival of the Messiah. And I wish I could say that everybody was excited about the arrival of the Messiah. Let me ask you a question to begin today's message. Um, Have you ever missed out on something really good? Missed out on something really good? I know there's going to be people in this town for years to come that are going to say, I missed seeing that show, that Christmas show that was over at that church. That, that one time. They don't, that would be one of them, I have no doubt. But um, maybe if you missed out a, a two-for-one special on buying a new car, maybe you missed out a 80% off on premium concert tickets, maybe there was a three drinks for the price of one at Starbucks, maybe there was a 400, and true story, I, did, I do know a couple that actually did this. They were, they, I, I don't even know how they found it. It's a $400 round-trip plane tickets to Europe and back, and they they snacked, but maybe you missed out on that deal, or maybe you missed out on the 75% off cruise around the Mediterranean, where they guarantee uh, no E. coli breakout or something, you know, that was, that would be really something to miss out on. Um, Last week, we were talking about Joseph, the adoptive father. Joseph, the man who was righteous, he was a just man. He wanted to do the right thing. When he found out Mary was pregnant, he said, this is wrong. I cannot in good conscience marry this woman. And and it wasn't until God spoke to Joseph in a dream to tell him that the baby that Mary was carrying was not of man, it was of God. She conceived of the Holy Spirit because the Son of God, Messiah, was going to be born. So Joseph, go ahead and marry that girl. And he did, because Joseph was a right man, wanting to do whatever God wanted him to do. Uh, So Joseph ended up being blessed. There was another man who heard about the coming of Messiah, and he did not react in the same way at all. In fact, he reacted in a a way that was very threatened. He was very uh, insecure in his leadership of the country. He was what you'd call paranoid, and his name was Herod. Before we talk about Herod, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we realize in this Christmas story that there is spiritual warfare that is going on, that God, you're coming into the world to save the world because you didn't want to see the world estranged from you forever because of our sin and our our disobedience and and how we have uh, fallen away from you. And gotten far from you. Lord, you sent Jesus to save the world through you. But in that rescue operation, Lord, we realize that not everybody was in favor of that. Because not everybody wants to bow to your lordship and your leadership. And in their rebellion, they are going to fight. Lord, help us to not be like that. Lord, help us that when we uh, see what you are doing, that we would submit our hearts to you and we would say, yes, Lord, let's do what you are doing and join you in the work that you're doing. And may you get all the honor and the credit for it. Lord, help us to focus now on what you want us to learn from this message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes, we're talking about Herod the Great. Uh, When I talked about Herod the Great and I was reading about him, uh, his life is a life that uh, the one word that I could come up to describe him besides the word threatened was the word paranoid, paranoid. Now, when I was a senior in high school, there was a great UK band called the Kinks. They were a great rock band called the Kinks. And they came out with this awesome song in 1981, and it was called Destroyer. 
And uh, this guy's talking about being on a date with a girl and, and uh, girl, I want you here with me, but I'm not really as cool as I'd like to be. And then he's talking about all the doubts and the insecurities going on in his head. And then he says, and in fact, the song comes to a crescendo and it says, paranoia will what? Para, you know the phrase, don't you? Paranoia will destroy you. That's a good way to describe the life of Herod. Herod the Great. He's called the Great. Why would he ever even be called the Great? Sort of reminds me back in the 60s of the boxing heavyweight champion, Muhammad Ali, when he was Cassius Clay. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. You know, what, what is it about this King Herod of Israel in the first century, why he would be even called great at all? Well, first of all, Herod was king of Israel for almost 40 years. Herod was the son of a great politician named Antipater. And Herod learned early on from his dad that if he could win the favor of whoever was ruling the Roman Empire, then his own position as king in Israel, that position as king would be secure. Of course, in order to win God's favor, the way you do that is you say, I will keep the peace and I will collect a lot of taxes for the Roman Empire. You see some of the things that Herod is known for, why he'd be called great at all. He ruled in partnership with Rome. Uh, he rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. He built fortresses to protect Israel. Uh, he built a great seaport city, Caesarea Maritima, which is where we get maritime, uh, by the sea, mar in Spanish or Latin. Uh, so Herod is famous for a lot of things. I, there's lots more we could learn about him. The main thing I want you to know is Herod was a ruthless ruler. He murdered his own wife. He murdered three of his own sons. Herod murdered his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law. Herod murdered his uncle and many others whom he as suspected of treachery. Not to mention the story that we're going to see today in Matthew chapter 2, <coughs> excuse me, where Herod murdered a bunch of male babies in the little town of Bethlehem. Herod's reign is noted for its splendor and for its many theaters, amphitheaters, monuments, pagan altars. I think one reason why Herod was hated in Israel was he called himself a Jew. His father converted to, Ju to Judaism, but his father was not an Israelite. His father was an, an Idumean, meaning coming from the land of Edom. So he wasn't even from Israel. His mother was a Nabataean, which was one of those nomadic tribes going around what is now Saudi Arabia. So Herod himself was not an Israelite by either his mother or father's side, and his father had converted to Judaism, I believe, only for political purposes. Now, Herod is famous, uh, and to this day, uh, there is sort of a monument to Herod's uh, building prowess because on the Western Wall in Jerusalem, that is still part of the original temple that was rebuilt by Herod 20 centuries ago. So he is at least known for that, and the Jews can at least thank him for that, because he did a great job rebuilding the temple uh, that took 68 uh, years to complete. So Herod is, is famous for a lot of things, uh, none of them very good. <laughs> Herod the Great comes from our, he comes into our Christmas story, Her actually Herod comes into our Christmas story a little late. 
Whatever movie you see about the three wise men, you know, riding in on their camels into Bethlehem to worship the Christ child only moments or hours after he's born, that is an inaccurate picture of history as it really was. Jesus was probably months or at least over a year old by the time the wise men arrived from the east into Israel. Jesus had already been born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary, for some reason, chose to stay there, and they were no longer in a, in a, in a stable or in an animal shelter when the, when the wise men showed up. The, when the wise men showed up, it says they came to the house where Jesus, the child, and his parents were staying. So that little town of Bethlehem, it's only five miles south of Jerusalem. It's an area known for sheep raising. It's an area known for raising lambs and sheep that were actually used in Jerusalem in the great temple for the temple sacrifices, especially during the time of Passover. Here's what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, which is another way we translate wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Now, I love that last phrase. They've come to worship him. He's not just a human ruler. He, Jesus is not just a human being that is sort of born into a royal family. Jesus is somebody special. They didn't say we came to respect him. We came to drop off a gift. We came to honor him. They, yeah, those were the bare minimum of what they came to do. But what they told Herod was, we have come to worship him. And I think uh, that sort of set Herod off, set off the paranoia will destroy you wheels working in, in Herod's brain because they're saying, wow, a, a king, you're saying a king is born and you come to worship him, there's, there's a problem now. Uh, their question created quite a stir, a stir in Jerusalem and it, especially in the heart of this evil king, Herod. Look what it says in verse 3. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Herod was disturbed anyway, but he got even more disturbed uh, when he heard this news from the Magi and all Jerusalem with him. Now, you can imagine that anybody who's a threat to Herod is arrested and tortured and executed, right? So when Herod gets disturbed, all Jerusalem gets disturbed because when Herod gets disturbed, somebody is going to die. And um, that's what happened. Herod, uh, the simplest way I could describe it, Herod felt threatened. You know, when it says, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Herod not by the Jewish people, but the Roman Empire, the Roman leaders, they were the ones that gave Herod the term king of the Jews. I think what this news of the Magi's arrival, whereas he is born king of the Jews, this sort of reminded Herod that he really was not a legitimate ruler. His father Antipater, you know, he was from Edom. His mother was a... Um, uh, a nomadic tribe of the Arabian desert. That's where she, what tribe she had come from. Herod's father, his so-called conversion to the Jewish faith was, it was probably just done to get political favor with the Jewish leaders in Israel. In fact, Herod's father Antipater was murdered in 43 BC and there was a Parthian army from the east who had come in and taken over Jerusalem in about the year 40 BC. And so here's this young man, Herod, he's in his 20s, 
and uh, an army comes in from the east, takes over Jerusalem, and they, they proclaim this other guy named Antigonus, they proclaim him king of Israel. So what does Herod do? He doesn't have an army. He can't fight this guy. So what does he do? And you start to see how smart and cunning and what a survivor he is. Herod somehow escapes, goes to Egypt, catches a ship from Alexandria, and goes to Rome and starts talking to the Roman leaders there. Herod learned well from his father Antipater. Whoever wins the favor of Rome is the person who's going to stay in power. And so Herod flees from a Jewish war, goes to Rome. He wins the favor, and, and check out where history is like intersecting. Herod wins the favor of the leader in Rome at the time, a man named Mark Anthony. And so the Roman Senate then, on Mark Anthony's recommendation, the Roman Senate confirmed Herod as king of Judea. Herod we're proclaiming you the legitimate king of Judea because the Roman Empire was occupying Israel. They could say whoever was king was king. And so later, Herod wins the favor of another emperor who came after Mark, Mark Antony, the man named Octavian, who was also known as Caesar Augustus. Now, you hear about his name when he calls for the census, and that's what brought Joseph and Mary down to Bethlehem in Judea. So they appointed Herod king over Israel, king of the Jews, and he promised them peace and order and great revenues through taxes. Herod returns to Israel. He consolidates his power. He puts down a few rebellions. He kills a few people, probably more than a few. And Herod uh, tried to win the favor of the, of the Jews by taking on these massive building projects. Of course, the one he's most famous for is rebuilding the sacred temple. But he also built fort fortresses in Israel to protect Israel from her enemies. Herod ruled in Israel all the way down, as we see in this story, down to the birth of Jesus Christ. And so the Roman Empire gave him his authority. They called him king of the Jews. I think the Jews hated him, uh, not for wanting to rebuild the temple, but they hated him for his violence and his ruthlessness. They also hated him because it wasn't just the temple that Herod rebuilt. Herod rebuilt a bunch, a bunch of pagan shrines and temples as well, even though he claimed to be Jewish. Herod knew in his heart that he was an illegitimate ruler, but Herod was paranoid about any would-be usurpers to his throne. So, like I said, many of his own family members, Herod just had them killed, had them executed. Octavian, Caesar Augustus, one time joked, he said, you were safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of Herod's family members. <laughs> yes, it's true. Paranoia will destroy you. Now, I admit here, folks, that I've given you a lot of historical background on Herod on the life of this man. Now, why, why would I do that? Because I want you to see why this man would feel not rejoicing, not happy, not this idea, hey, the Messiah has been born. This is amazing. As a faithful Jew who reads the scriptures and knows that the prophets are saying that a Messiah is coming and that actually he's going to be born in Bethlehem, just like this young boy seems to be born in. You know, instead of Herod, you know, conforming his will to the will of God, Herod does nothing but want to fight it. He said he was deeply troubled in all Jerusalem around him. The Magi, uh, of course, Jerusalem was, was disturbed. They knew well any question like the Magi's, where is he who's born, born king of the Jews? That would re just result in more cruelty from this ailing king of the Jews whose paranoia knew no bounds. 
Herod, this is where I sort of say, and this is what Herod says, my so-called paranoia, you call it paranoia, but this, whatever I have, this has kept me on the throne for 35 years. In fact, my paranoia will destroy you. So Herod greets the Magi, tries to find out as much as he can about the so-called Messiah and his birth and his, bear and his whereabouts. Who is he? Where is he? Into what family is he to be born, right? Uh, in the, the movie, The Nativity, and I, to, I told you guys last week when we s watched a clip about Joseph and Mary on their way to Bethlehem, uh, I told you that this Nativity story is one of my favorite movies because it is as accurate as any movie I've seen on the birth of Jesus. I want you to see just a little snippet of who this character Herod is. Visitors from the east follow the star. The star of the prophecy. The prophecy of the Messiah? The Messiah. Magi, the wisest of the wise. Tell me what they claim. They believe that a new king awaits them now in Judea. Father, we must send your soldiers to follow them. Until they find the man we seek. And raise their suspicions. When we risk not finding this king at all. Invite them to dine with us. Your arrival is by the hand of providence. For years I have studied the words of the prophets. Out of Bethlehem shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Your Excellency, I too have studied these words. I have waited a lifetime for the signs I now see. As have many. The star, the one that you have followed. Tell me, what does it mean? The prophecy speaks of a child. Heralded by the star, we have followed these many months. What do you mean, a child? Are you not here seeking a man? A man ready to proclaim himself Messiah? No. A child. A Messiah for the lowest of men to the highest of kings. We too have been waiting for God's king. For years. When you find him, please return to us so that we may come worship him as well. You know, you hear people uh, from time to time say the Bible, uh, I don't believe in the Bible because it's full of lies. And one of my answers to that is, you know what? The Bible is full of lies. First lie in the Bible is when Satan told Adam and Eve, hey, the day that you eat of that fruit that God said don't eat, you won't die. You won't die. There's the first lie in the Bible. You just heard another lie. Because what did Herod say? Oh, go out and seek the child. Go to Bethlehem and find him. Find out exactly who he is and where he is. And when you return, come back and tell me so that I may what? So that I, oh, so that I also may go and worship him. What a liar. What a, what a, 
what a flat-out liar this guy is. And um, that's exactly uh, the kind of person that Herod is. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He can only see this Jesus who's been born. He can only see him in terms of someone who would either help him stay in power or someone who was going to threaten his power. And all he could see about Jesus was somebody that would threaten his own power. He just flat out lied to them. Uh, he says, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go too and worship him. So paranoid Herod wanted a report from the, from the Magi, from these wise men, not so that he could go and worship the baby Jesus or the Messiah, so that he could send some of his ruthless, bloodthirsty soldiers and kill him. You know, this story of Herod, uh, the king who was trying to kill the Christ child, the Messiah, to be born is strangely parallel. I don't know if you guys have ever read the book of Revelation, but in the book of Revelation, there is a scene in Revelation chapter 12 that is the story of a woman and a dragon, and it's strangely parallel to the story that we're reading about right now in Matthew chapter 2. Let's go to this passage in Revelation uh, chapter 12. This is what John, the apostle, having a scene in heaven, and this is what he saw. He said, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and because of the agony of giving birth. John saw this mega sign in heaven, this great woman clothed in dignity who was about to give birth. Okay, so far so good. Jesus the Messiah, the Christ child, he was coming into the world and he was coming to Bethlehem, but all is not well because the child is not safe. It wasn't safe in this story in Revelation 12 either. There is not going to be heavenly peace for long because then it says in verse 3, it says, then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman. Now get this. Here's the dragon, the one who wants to destroy this, this woman giving birth to this child. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. So here's this dragon that you read about later in Revelation 12. It says a meta, he's a metaphor for Satan or the devil himself. He's aware that this woman is going to give birth to the Savior, the one who would destroy the kingdom of darkness. And you realize like in 1 John, the same author of Revelation, he said the Son of, the Son of God has come to destroy the works of the devil. And so the devil feels threatened. The devil feels like his days are, are over. And so what does he want to do? He wants to destroy the Christ child, just like Herod does. Satan wants to kill the child before he can grow up and accomplish his mission. Satan is always looking for people to do his bidding. And he found somebody, a great candidate, a great servant of the dark side of, of the evil one named Herod. What better man to employ to destroy the Christ child than a paranoid king in Israel like Herod, who in his fear could only think of killing and destroying that which would threaten him. Now here's the good news. 
This is what Herod was trying to do. But here's the good news, because no matter how powerful evil appears to be, evil can never thwart God's plans from being carried out. Let me say that again, because I think you guys are sort of like, did he just say something significant? I think I did. Uh, what did I say? No matter how powerful evil appears to be, it cannot thwart the plans of God. Here's the good news. What Herod didn't know was that God Almighty was the one who was watching over Jesus and Mary and Joseph. God was always a step ahead of evil and, and a man named Herod. God warned Joseph in a dream, Joseph, get out of Bethlehem. If it was my, you know, American translation, Joseph, get out of Dodge. You got to get out of fast. Flee to Egypt because Herod is seeking to destroy the child. God then not only warned Joseph and Mary and Jesus who got out of Bethlehem before Herod could arrive with his soldiers. He warned the Magi not to return to Jerusalem to tell Herod who the Messiah was. That gave them some lead time. That gave them a head start to escape and get to Egypt. And of course, Herod says when he, when he heard the news that the Magi had outwitted him and not returned to, to Jerusalem to tell him where the Christ child was, Herod flew into a rage and he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he learned from the Magi. So you hear again, you see another example. This was not the only time at all when Herod was willing to kill innocent people to accomplish his plans. But you just see this paranoid man with all this power, this earthly power that he has in his own country. He cannot accept the idea that there is another king who is greater than he, who is more worthy to be venerated and followed than he. Herod would not submit, and here's the key. Herod is a great example of a person who will not submit his life to the authority of God. Herod could only look at the person and evaluate, is this person somebody I can use? Is this somebody who can help me? Or is this somebody that's going to hinder me from accomplishing my goals? In other words, not seeing people for who they are, not loving your neighbor as yourself, just seeing for how you could use people to get what you want out of life. The ultimate selfish person. And because of that, Herod, this so-called king of the Jews, Herod missed his Messiah. He will always be remembered as the king who missed his Messiah. Look what it says in the Psalms, a prophecy about spiritual warfare going on when the kingdom of God is coming in through Jesus to the world. This was actually quoted by the early church in the book of Acts. It says, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Just to remind us of the spiritual warfare that's going on when Jesus says the kingdom of God is advancing and violent men oppose it. Jesus Messiah is the newly appointed king, but when there's a new king, of course, that often pushes out somebody who's in power at the time. And often when somebody hears about a new king, instead of welcoming the new rightful king, they revolt, they rebel, they refuse to allow the rightful king to rule over them. Why? Because they don't want to be ruled by anybody. No matter how good and awesome and worthy that king happens to be. Let me ask you a question this morning. What about you? You say, well, I'm not like Herod. Come on. That's ridiculous, right? What about you? How stubborn are you? Are you a person who says, no one ever tells me what to do? 
Are you one of those kind of people? Are you one of those my way or the highway kind of people? I thought that was a country song, but I actually looked it up. There was a, 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 a rap metal band that was uh, popular about 15 years ago called Limp Biscuit. Anybody heard of them? Now, I like biscuits and gravy, but I never heard about these guys. <laughs> anyway, they are, they're a band. They're from Florida. They're pretty harsh. But they have a song called My Way or the Highway. This is the, the attitude that was very similar to Herod, uh, sung by anybody who's got the spirit of Herod in them today. They said, uh, they said this in My Way or the Highway. Just one more fight about a lot of things. And I will give up everything to be on my own again. Free again. Yeah. This time, I'm going to let it come all out. This time, I'm going to stand up and shout. I'm going to do things my way because it's my way or the highway. My way or the highway. Friends, here's the truth. If you have that attitude in your heart, it's my way or the highway. If that is the real root attitude in your heart, that's what's got to be redeemed. That's what's got to change because you can never become a follower of Christ by consistently saying my way or the highway. You got to quit saying my way and you got to say, Jesus, it's going to be your way and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to submit myself to follow you in your leadership because that's really the question. Are you ready to submit your life to the authority of Christ? Look what it says in James. God opposes the proud. You, a person like Herod is never able to please God. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so James says, well, here's, if this is your attitude and you're proud and you're rebellious and it's my way or the highway and you don't want to submit to anybody over your life, this is how you've got to repent and turn around and change. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And here's God's promise. Humble yourself in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. You know, I've got three takeaways from Herod today. Three takeaways from Herod's life. Just observations when you see this story, and you see this man who missed his Messiah. Number one, Jesus' kingdom always includes spiritual warfare. Anytime the kingdom of God is coming, there will be, if it doesn't look like it in the beginning, there will be eventually spiritual warfare. Why? Because there will always be people like King Herod who will oppose God's rule in their lives. It began with Satan and it continues with anyone who will not follow Jesus and will not submit to him. So Jesus' kingdom is always going to include spiritual warfare. The second takeaway is this, walking with Jesus in a daily basis, and that's what being a Christ follower is. It's walking in a right relationship, in a loving daily relationship with God. It has to begin with, and it has to include this attitude of submission, of submission. Look what Paul says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth, in other words, Paul's saying, I'm going to show you this is, this is the pathway in order for you to be saved and to come into a right relationship with God. But if you're going to be in a right relationship with God, it's going to, there's two conditions for it to take place. Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's also sort of implying you've also got to confess with your mouth, Jim is not Lord, Right? God is God, and I am not. That's where the Christian faith really begins. That's why it's really hard for a lot of people, because they don't want to submit. 
They don't want to humble themselves before God. They want to go to God and say, look what I've done for you. Look at how many times I've attended worship services. Look how much money I've given to the poor. Look, look at what I've done for charities. Look at all these good things I've done. God, I've earned my way into your approval. And God says, no, that's not the pathway to heaven. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Walking with Jesus includes submission. Giving the leadership of your life over to Jesus, the one who came to offer you forgiveness of sins and new life. Jesus says this, and, he, and he was, remember he's talking about uh, following him, and he says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, right? And he says, and he promises you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. That, that was a term that's saying, I'm a rabbi, I'm a teacher. Take my teachings, follow me, follow my path of, of life. And when you do that, you take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. When we do that, when we submit our lives to God's life, we're gonna find that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we're gonna find rest for our souls. But it begins with submission. And then number three, we go back to the way God set it all up. And God says, why would you create a world where you give these human beings this free will, knowing that if you give them this free will, that a, a large number of them are never going to submit their will to you. They're never going to say, Lord, your way, not my way. How, if people are just going to say to you, God, my way or the highway, why would you even set up a world like that? And, and it's because God is, it, the character of God is God is love. And God is love, meaning God is in relationship. God wants a real relationship with people. That means you can't coerce them. You can't turn them into automatons or robots. You have to have a free will to decide whether we are going to love God and submit our lives to him or not. You choose. In fact, every day, even for the Christ follower, every one of us, when we wake up each morning, we make a choice every day, whether you're going to be like Herod or you're going to be like the wise men. Not to come to destroy the Christ child and to get his rule out of your life, but to come and worship him. Are you ready to be like the wise men? Are you ready to come and worship him? I'm going to invite the, uh, is choir singing this morning? Yes, the choir singing this morning. I'm going to invite the choir to come on up. And as they're coming up, getting ready to sing the final song, I'd, I'd like us all to stop and bow our heads and go to the Lord together in prayer. And with our eyes closed and our heads bowed in this quiet moment, I'd just like to ask you a question. Are, is there just a little too much of Herod in your character today? Are there places in your life where you're hurting other people in your relationships just so you can get your own way? Or are you willing to submit yourself to God? Are you willing to humble yourself before him and realize that he is God and he has the authority to govern your life? Are you willing to let God do what he wants to do? Are you willing to, to follow his son Jesus? Because the truth is, you're never going to get anywhere with God as long as you won't take the crown off your own head. Lord Jesus, we want to 
come before you today and worship you. Uh, not just the Christ child born in Bethlehem, but the, sa- the one who came to be the savior of the world, the, the one who grew up as a human being and lived among us and showed us the way back to God. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to worship you. And we want to take the crown off of our head and we want to place it on your head. Lord, you be the one who's the leader of our life. You be our savior. You be the forgiver of all our sins. You be the one that shows us how to live life. We submit ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.